Wednesday night. We just scored five. How are you doing? Very good. Yes, two great results this week. And the football wasn't bad e- either. So, no, I'm, no, enough of Luis Suarez and John Terry. They'll get their just desserts, I suppose. We'll come on to that later. But, but the the football uh, football's really good. United, fantastic at QPR. Just a bit wasteful in the final third. And pretty good in the first half against Fulham. Not so good in the second half against Fulham, but still managed to score all the goals. So, good all round. Yeah, that QPR game got off to an incredible flying start with a cross from Valencia onto Rooney's head like it was 0-9-10 all over again. Lovely to see Valencia beating his man on the far side and Rooney attacking the ball whilst flying through the air. Yeah, cl- classic diving header, wasn't it? I feel like I haven't seen one of those since the 1980s. It wasn't It wasn't quite a classic diving header though because he sort of flung himself at a weird angle. It was like a there was a sidewaysness to his jump. Yes, I suppose, you know, if he'd been a bit straighter and pulled his shorts up at the same time, it would have been I mean, all the rage, but yeah, there you go. So that's a good goal. I mean, it wasn't a. It's something like nine goals in the past eighteen months or some whatever it is that uh, Rooney scored with headers from Valencia, or his last nine headed goals have been Valencia crosses. Some good, uh, good relationship with the two of them there. And it's, it was nice to see Valencia coming back into form. I think um, he, he had a little bit of a crisis of confidence earlier this season, but he seems to be right back on it. Prepared to take on the fullback again, which he wasn't able to do for a while, and, and United all the better for it. And the re-emergence of Wayne Rooney's form continues apace. The fantastic goal obviously that he's he's just almost literally just scored as we talk about this but, but a, a really good game all round against QPR apart from a bit of an excess of flappy arms. He was not too happy with Nani a couple of times and uh, I noticed he didn't even do a little apology wave when he massively misplaced a pass either. I was, I was disappointed if you're going to flap your arms you've got to do the apology wave. I know. I did, you know. Christmas morning Wayne Rooney opens it. His present it's a Cheryl Cole CD, Flappy Arms. <laughs> it's absolutely inevitable. Um, a wee? I've already got a wee, Flappy Arms. The thing is, though, he, he does look in really good form again, and I, I have a, a bunch of theories as to why. I mean, one, I think Valencia coming back to form obviously helps Rooney. He had his best season goal-scoring-wise when, when he was partnering with Valencia all the time, and I think Danny Welbeck makes a really big difference to Rooney. Yeah, I mean, Welbeck does a lot of the hard work, doesn't he? He runs the channels, he's bright, he... he yeah, he can play up top. He drops off as well. He's uh, he's a very dynamic player. He's um, I mean he's he's earning his place uh, in the side at the moment ahead of Hernandez, and that that says something. Given that uh, although Hernandez has had something of an injury hit season, did also score four crucial goals, winning goals in in that period when United weren't scoring many. So Danny has earned his place. I mean there were plenty of doubts about him two years ago, weren't there? I don't think there are any more. He's he's a proper United player. I think Danny Welbeck kind of deserved a goal against QPR. He he was not offside was he in, in, in the goal where he was no. kind of surrounded by a couple of defenders but I mean it was a difficult decision for the assistant referee And but it was worth noting that it was an incredibly good finish surrounded by QPR defenders you know he really took it well even though it didn't end up counting held off his man and slotted it at home so yeah it was a fine fine finish he was kind of rewarded for all that hard work pretty much instantaneously uh, four minutes into the Fulham game a game I think we both thought was going to be much tougher than it ended up being I guess before before we come on to the Fulham game, worth a, a shout out to Michael Javik, or is it Iniestaric, or indeed Leo Messi? R- really good again, yeah. It's um, I mean, look, you say what you see, right? And and Carrick deserved plenty of criticism over the last couple of years for his. P- 
poor performance and you know, a couple of shocking games in Champions League finals, among others. But but right at the moment, he's he's uh, in the form of his life. He's been he's been excellent, excellent against Fulham, uh, in defensively excellent all round against against QPR and scored a, a Maradona-esque goal, but in slow motion. I just it's bizarre. It was like he waved and the parting of the QPR seas happened and just kind of wandered through and side-footed it home. It wasn't even a very crisp finish, would it? You know, he could have run after the ball and caught it. He had a brilliant game and it was kind of a brilliant goal, but also nothing about that goal looked good, even though it was immense. Like, he, he literally dribbled from his own half and battered it in from the edge of the box, but none of it looked impressive. It was a terrible finish, you know. It, it, it was like he was running through treacle. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was, but brilliant to see the outcome. I mean, just wonderful. Uh, so, yeah, it was It was lovely. Um, it was lovely to see that goal, and he, he certainly deserved the goal on, on his recent form, or at least he deserved some sort of reward for his recent form, because he has been brilliant. Actually, he was really good again against Fulham in a much more sort of less obvious way. He didn't sort of boss the game in the same way, because I think he was sitting even more than he did against QPR and, and letting Giggs go forward. Uh, Phil Jones, we have to talk about Phil Jones in centre midfield against QPR. I mean, a real blow that Rio couldn't play tonight and, and an even bigger blow because it looks like Jones might be out for six weeks. But but he was brilliant in midfield. I mean, I saw Robson-esque, uh, Keane-esque. You know, it's getting ridiculous, the, the comparisons. Phil Jones reminds me of X. Um, in fact, our friend at Chicharito1488 from Germany has raised the question once again are you, are you still sure that central midfield is not Phil Jones's position no 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 I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure he'll find himself back at back back at centre half or, and right back as it was against Fulham but he um, yeah he's a, he's a natural defender I mean he, he's just got all this energy and pace I mean he still gets into the wrong positions let's uh, I mean he did, does loads of eye catching great stuff and, and it doesn't always quite work but fine game against QPR I can, you know, you, you can fault it, but it was still a fine game, and I, I, I'd just like to see him do it against top quality opposition. I mean, you know, if he, if he bossed the game against uh, the highest quality, then then we could honestly start saying he was keen-esque. I mean, you know, there's a good element of tongue-in-cheek. And, I, you know, I was tweeting Rob- Robson-esque driving runs from midfield and, and all of that. And, uh, yeah, fair enough. But uh, there's there's more required, I think, from a top-quality midfielder. Truth is, it hasn't quite happened against higher-quality opposition for Jones yet. But we'll see. I mean, there's there's some coming up. Newcastle away in early January, isn't there? And uh, we'll see the game at Eastland in the FA Cup just afterwards. And then a couple of weeks after that, uh, a game against Liverpool and and. Uh, They'll all be big tests. We'll see if James plays in midfield then. Those runs, they really add a lot. And, and even if he does end up, as you say, as a centre-back in the long long run, having that ability to play, to kind of bust the game against weaker sides from midfield, is just really useful. It op- opens up loads of options uh, for Fergie in terms of team selection. I mean, not necessarily always a good thing to open up loads of options for Fergie in terms of team selection, because the man is frankly obsessed with uh, the possibilities afforded to him by players who can play in different positions. If the Premier League said it was a 50-man squad rather than a 25-man squad, he'd make eight changes a game. I mean, <laughs> he, he, the mate, he can't help himself, can he? he? Just and and you do wonder. I mean, you just do wonder why there's so many changes in in positional things as well. You know, it's not just uh, when a player moves out of position, he's being rested. Sometimes he's just being moved out into another position. It's uh, it's slightly odd, but over the course of the season, Fergie seems to get these things right. It's just sometimes you you scratch your head and go, hmm, bit <laughs> odd that one. At Bricky asks are the comparisons between Jones and Edwards more detrimental than positive to the boy going forward cause more pressure I mean I've seen absolutely no signs of a player playing as if he's under pressure to live up to some kind of expectation 
and he just seems to be loving it at the moment. Yeah, I know he doesn't seem to care about the pressure. Maybe that'll come later. I mean, super superstardom is on its way, isn't it? So, so yeah, the the pressure will come with that, and and of course, expectations adjust themselves, don't they? So next season, when everyone knows about him, we'll all be expecting even more from him. And uh, and and when he doesn't produce fantastic performances, we'll, we'll, we might be disappointed, and that's just what happens, isn't it? And so right now, there's no pressure on him. A brilliant performance uh, is a brilliant performance, and and if he makes a mistake, it's all forgiven. Yeah, no, I, I think that's that's an interesting point. A player who is actually living up to those raised expectations is Chris Smalling, um, who came to the club, you know, sort of promising, but nobody was really sure. But he, he just put in a really assured performance at centre back against Fulham. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I love watching him at centre back. He's just uh, he's just natural for the position, isn't he? I mean, yeah, he, me too. He's he look, he, he he puts in everything at right back, and sometimes it, you you just don't feel he's is quite the right position for him, and especially when it comes to the trip trying to put a ball into the box which he still hasn't quite got the hang of that one uh, but he does fine there but at centre back it's just he's just completely natural fine defender all round yeah I mean I think he's a really phenomenally gifted footballer Chris Smalling I mean I, I do think that Jones you know he does get slightly overshadowed because of how exciting and bombastic Phil Jones is and he's not that Smalling he's a you know Smalling Bauer I've seen him descri- described as a few a few times and, and if, if you know if Phil Jones reminds you of Brian Robson Chris Smalling legitimately occasionally reminds Reminds me of Franz Beckenbauer, and perhaps a bit more recently, he reminds me of Rio a lot. Yeah, you know, he's got a really similar style, and 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 the amount that Jones and Smalling must be learning from Ferdinand and and Vidic before Vidic was injured. You know, can you imagine you're a young centre back, and and those are the two players that you're learning your trade under it's just it just couldn't be better could it no that's right and you, you just it's a real shame that Vidic is injured obviously and we will squeeze the last remaining bits out of Rio before he's put out to pasture and, and by then of course Jones and, and Smalling will be ready and of course we're talking all about Jones and Smalling a uh, word for Johnny Evans who's taken an awful lot of criticism but was was really good again I, I thought it was best game in the United shirt for a long long time against QPR magnificent performance I mean obviously he missed a sitter but defensively he was just phenomenal because you know in both games we kept two clean sheets in a row which is vitally important potentially and, and looks really good on the on the metaphorical score based balance sheet but but they, QPR and Fulham definitely had opportunities which our defence and goalkeepers dealt with really well yeah is there a metaphorical score based balance sheet it was a brilliant performance from Johnny Evans and like you say he has had a lot of stick and in fact um, we were discussing in fact you, you said he's definitely in, in the side on seniority not talent don't think I used the word definitely uh, you said something along those lines pretty close to that in in the very last show so you know and I don't think I used the word talent but you know <laughs> you did you said oh no you said talent you absolutely did it's the reverse curse of the rank cast you know it happens every time yeah fair, yeah it, it does so let's talk about Fulham 5-0 uh, I mean it, great great first half performance I thought from United just just you know really dynamic and Giggs had a fine game Jones bombing up the wing until he smashed his face in and you know solid in the centre of defence brilliant run from Nani for the first goal Danny Welbeck dynamic Rooney dropping deep I mean it's just it, for for a team that had quite a few changes in it it was actually very fluid and, and uh, just an excellent first half performance I thought for about half an hour into the second half not 
not so good. Uh, yeah. All that kind of you know vibrancy seemed to just disappear, and and it wasn't until the late goals put on a you know a bit of polish onto the scoreline that um that maybe that first half you know performance was reflected in the score. But uh, for a long time that second half it wasn't so good, and Fulham could have scored. I mean Andrew Johnson had a good shot, and uh, Dembele I think is a fine player. I mean maybe Fulham in the total will feel that five uh, nil was a bit hard, but uh, I, I guess you know United was so superior for a half that not that surprising in the end. No, and, and I think it was pretty much inevitable that there was going to be a dip in United's form because Fulham were going to not be as bad as they were because they definitely defended pretty abjectly in the first half. So they, they were always going to come back into it because they've, they've got some pretty decent players uh, in that side who can who can do things in the final third. So I was not surprised to see United struggle a bit in the second half. And, and although they, they did struggle a bit, and particularly Andy Johnson had a very good chance, they, they didn't give up that much uh, in that time. They just looked a bit disjointed going forward but given the injuries and substitutions it's perhaps not not that much of a surprise uh, Ashley Young first having to come on for Phil Jones and then Park having to come on for Ashley Young uh, and then and the, and the polish was put on the performance but it's you know when you're 3-0 up at half time you're quite likely to score another couple of late goals when the other team are pushing you and you score brilliant goals on the counter attack and that fourth and fifth goal in their own ways were right up there with the, the goals of the season scored by United so far Absolutely staggering hit from Wayne Rooney. Yeah, yeah, and ton tons of power and uh, and a uh, bit of berbergasm at the end there. Flick behind his leg. First goal since April. I mean, I, I suppose if it's uh, if you're gonna only have a goal every six months or so, then uh, it better be a good one. Didn't he score? He scored in the Carling Cup, but obviously that doesn't really count. We, we all know that football doesn't exist outside the Premier League until it's Champions League, and the football doesn't exist outside the Champions Champions League. I've got to say this whole thing about the twenty thousandth Premier League goal really gets my goat. I mean, because there be a more artificial construct than this I mean in fact 20,000 is a number totally arbitrary okay let's celebrate it because it's got a bunch of zeros on the end and let's celebrate the fact it's since they changed the name of a competition which is essentially the same thing except the biggest clubs squeezed all the money away from all the smallest clubs fantastic thing to celebrate uh, just bizarre and someone kept tweeting me yeah but the money's going to charity I- I'm thinking that B Sky B could afford to spend a little more than 20,000 pounds on its charity program I'm sure it does yeah just like to say uh, Given the festive season, bah humbug, uh, you're of course completely and utterly right. But, you know, it's fun to celebrate stupid arbitrary numbers. Sport's all about stupid arbitrary numbers. We, we like If you like cricket, people get very excited when someone scores one more than 99 runs, even though it doesn't make any difference really whether you score 99 or 100. It, humans are all about the pattern recognition and the, the love of big numbers. And if what somebody tweeted at me is true, Paul Skull scored the 9,000 999th goal and Ryan Giggs scored the 19,999th goal and if that's not worth celebrating I don't know what is yeah alright well in the spirit of Christmas I'll go with you there excellent yeah Ber- Berbatov's goal just magnificent what a moment to you know the, the quickness of thought the quickness of feet the just all round good for the soul jazz influenced brilliance of Dimitar Berbatov continues unabated fantastic jazz influence nice <laughs> yeah, so uh, thoroughly, thoroughly successful week in West London for Manchester United. Oh, that's right. Although it was a, a, a day in West London, then back up to Manchester, and then a day in West London again. And you just thought they stuck the night in a hotel somewhere. But I, I guess they're trying to save a few pennies at the club these days, aren't they? Just the, one major downside, of course, the, the fractured cheekbone, it seems, for Phil Jones. Uh, and given how he's been excellent in centre midfield, as we've talked about, and excellent at fullback and pretty 
pretty good at centre back and an all round good egg and all of that. It's going to be quite a loss, especially given there's so few midfield options at the moment. I mean, it's not as if we can give Ryan Giggs an extended run in the team, really, at age 48 or whatever he is these days. No, I mean, it, it really is a problem. We are down to the very real likelihood that Darren Gibson's going to play. Yeah, right, and, and maybe Paul Pogba will be drafted in, although I don't think he made the matchday squad, did he, this time? He didn't. So, uh, who knows with that one? Uh, it, yeah, real problem. But Fergie, uh, as he said in his press conference last Friday, definitely not going to be doing any spending in money. In fact, he denied the very concept that there was a problem. So. Just to play devil's advocate, as anyone defending Sir Alex Ferguson's relationship with the press must do, doesn't he have to say that, essentially, or something similar? Because otherwise, he's just saying, we're pretty desperate, we will spend anything you like. Well, well look, there's one there's one thing saying, yeah, we're going to go and spunk 50 million quid, let... let everyone stick a zero on the, the transfer fee. That's one thing. Obviously, he's never going to do that and they're not going to give away their, their transfer plans. But his, he basically denied that there was there's any shortage in midfield at all. So he just denied, flat out denied it. I mean, it's not like when we had no defenders last December or a couple of Decembers ago, he was saying, oh yeah, we've got uh, we've got no defenders. So he, he admitted there was a bit of a problem and the fact that he's playing wingers and defenders and, and everyone bar an actual central bloody midfielder in central midfield might tell you there's a problem anyway you know I, I feel like I'm banging on about this but it's only been three years so maybe one day maybe yeah how are we so successful at papering over the cracks in, in this side well there's plenty of other good players I mean I guess and 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 look it's it's, it's all relative isn't it you know actually uh, for, for all Michael Carrick's downturn in form he's still a fine player and and so is Darren Fletcher and compared to a lot of the other uh, players uh, in, in the rest of the Premier League they're still better right it, it's just, you know, they've they've been found out in the really top games yeah against I mean basically they've been found out against Barcelona who are the best team in world football since Brazil in 1982 or something yeah yeah I mean which is which is fair enough but it was totally and hum- totally humiliating twice and and remember let, let's think back to, to you know May 29th day after the night before and we we're all saying that well you know we, we're gonna what do we have to do in order to bridge the gap to Barcelona well now we, we can't even talk about that what we have to, what we're now talking about is what do we do to bridge the gap to Basel <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is a bit of a problem. It's just, it's just weird because you know, I mean, we've got the best away form of anyone in it's, the league. It's crazy, isn't it? After last year, couldn't couldn't buy an away win, and and now couldn't can't stop winning. It's uh, yeah, yeah, fantastic results on the road all season, and we still do have to, of course, go to to the Emirates and Stamford Bridge and Eastland. Uh, so they and 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 St James's Park coming up, so they'll all be big tests. But yeah, there's there's obviously conf- confidence running through the side now when it comes to away games. Also, of course, injuries running through the side. Ashley Young went off again, injured. Uh, Welbeck looked okay in this game. He sort of seemed to there seemed to be something slightly wrong with his knee after the QPR game, but good to see that he's doing all right. But then uh, that hugely significant injury, a uh, slight niggle for Rio apparently, but he should be in contention on Boxing Day. And yeah, the the fairly serious apparently injury to Phil Jones's cheekbone. Yeah, and and some talk that that'll be six weeks out. Although I, I'm pretty sure I've seen players come back earlier than than that and wear a Batman style mask doesn't compute does it Phil Jones doesn't get injured if anyone's going to come back sooner the myth of Phil Jones it's just going to grow and grow and grow and the, the thing is today he got whacked in the face I don't think on purpose I definitely don't think it was on purpose from Clint Dempsey he got whacked in the face How about four to five minutes later made an absolutely immense last yeah, right. challenge mm. in the penalty area when he could barely stand up perfect so uh, un- unreal just absolutely unreal 
Yeah, it, it, he is the grand national runner whose legs break and carries on running, right? He, he just nothing will stop the man, except apparently a depressed fracture to the cheekbone. But there we go. It's uh, it, it, it's pretty. That's a real shame, actually, and it will be a, it will be a blow to United because they're gonna have to shuffle around again. I mean, Raphael's been training, so I guess he'll come back. He might well come back into the side, depending on how fit Rio is. It's not as if we can spare too many defenders now, as well as the as well as the midfielders. I mean, uh, Raphael's fitness is an interesting thing because you know he had to take his right back off today Fergie and instead of bringing on Raphael he brought on Ashley Young and put Valencia at right back which is obviously a risk uh, given his past performances there I mean we cited him in the out of position 11 only last week as not not necessarily doing the best job defensively at right back but obviously Raphael can't be fit otherwise he he would have brought him on he obviously had him on the bench in case he needed him in the last 10 minutes rather than the last 60 minutes yeah yeah no I I think that's right I mean he's had what what do you have one reserve game so far Raphael so he had after a long time out, he hasn't played since last May. Just before we finally move on from the the games that we've played this week, definitely worth a, a shout out to our two excellent goalkeepers because De Gea had a pretty good game against QPR and Lindegaard had a brilliant game against Fulham. He doesn't concede goals, does he, Lindegaard? No. Just yeah, just don't go in. I mean, it's, uh, it's hard to separate them on form. I mean, I, I I'm pretty certain that De Gea is the classier prospect in terms of his all-round skills and definitely the distribution is 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 a weakness of Lindegaard's. But he, he's I don't think he's made a mistake, has he, the Dane at all? And he makes some fine saves yeah, too. Yeah, and and you know when we signed him, we were talking about you know how we signed him from you know a very small club quite late in his career, but he does look like he could have been playing at a higher level earlier to me. Because yeah, yeah, no, I think so. Yeah, he he, he definitely could have been, and and it's his first time for a long time that United have had a, a number two that's that's kind of worthy of the shirt. Van der Howe has got to be the last one. Yeah, I mean, he only played 60-odd games for United, but yeah, he, he was, a, was a decent keeper, wasn't he? So the worry is that Ferguson's got in such a pattern of rotating these guys that um, it will cause an issue, and no one will know who's the number one. I mean, we can think back to the sort of Tim Howard, Roy Carroll days, and that that was not pretty for a while, was it? No, but I mean, I, you know, I think it's pretty clear that De Gea's the number one, and Lindegaard will play more games than your average number two will play. You know, he'll, he'll play some league games and a lot of cup games. Uh, yeah. And uh, I think that's okay. You know, I, I think so long as they they both are okay with that, then it will continue to be okay. I mean, my long term concern about De Gea is that he's gonna he's gonna get very 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 good. And so, is he gonna leave and go to one of the big two Spanish clubs at, for the peak of his career? You know, and then we just have him for the time where he's learning his trade, and that that would be unfortunate. I mean, you can't really think about that. Um, I, I, I suppose we are Real Madrid's feeder clubs these days, <laughs> don't we? So it's a who. who knows I mean I, I don't know how much of a boyhood Atletico Madrid fan he is he's, he's actually from the suburbs and, and uh, Vincente Calderon is very much in the centre of Madrid uh, and uh, whereas uh, Bernabeu is kind of in the uh, the middle class northern part of Madrid and, and uh, so I, I don't know he's necessarily athletic material hardcore material so anyway it's speculation it is absolutely talking of speculation uh, one of our players who's not necessarily been in the best form for the past season or two is Patrice Evra that he has strong defenders as all United players with dips in form do but I think the general consensus is that he's definitely not been at his best defensively albeit he's obviously made a very significant contribution to our attack and at Stretty News asked us what I thought was a really interesting question which is if you were going to replace Evra with another left back in the Premier League who would it be? Oh jeez That's a really difficult question uh, somebody young and fast those are, those are I think two important qualities in a left back I don't, I don't know I might have to think about that one and 
come back to it later in the show. Uh, I, I'm wrecking my. I'm running my. Yeah, going down the left backs in the. No, no, <laughs> no, no, definitely not. No, no, and no. There's quite a few no's there. Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure there isn't a, a left back in the Premier League. I'd replace Patrice Evra. No, with. N- none of the top six. I mean, I, I have to say I don't really rate Kolarov. I think Cole's on a downward curve now. Gibbs is something of a joke. Clichy, no, and Eso Cotto from Spurs again, a step below. Odd coloured boots as well, which instantly rules him out. Enrique, uh, not convinced about that one. Uh, strange analysis of Enrique. Alan Pardew said, uh, very good player. Didn't like to put a cross in the box. Okay, <laughs> interesting. So, so basically, no one of any of the top clubs. Uh, and and then I think you know, look, look a little lower down than people like Leighton Baines are coming to. And I, again, I don't think they're United quality. At the Oye Creation asks, uh, how are we going to stop the five nil win that we've just witnessed from influencing our overall thoughts on the current state of play it's going to be Fergie is perfect and the Glazers are great this week on the Rantcast I don't think it is somehow oh yeah I, I, I think we'll manage to uh, Ed, Ed's level of uh, United related cynicism can conquer any glow of post-match glory can't it yeah yeah well after we won in the Champions League uh, in 1999 I was like we could have scored that a bit earlier <laughs> no I mean look it's running into some good form at the moment which is great to see and, and the fact that and we spoke about it at the time didn't we the fact that United were grinding out results and, and but getting the results was really important so uh, we are going to be either top or very close to top by the turn of the year uh, and uh, that's that's what Fergie would have wanted I mean we'll see what happens in the transfer market I mean Fergie is not going to add uh, anyone of any significance Manchester City might and they might um, bolster their side and we'll see what happens when we get into the Thursday nights on Channel 5 because that will I mean it does compress the even though in theory it's no different to Wednesday Saturday it does seem to compress the amount of um, time you get to prepare for that game so uh, it might be might be a problem too and and injuries will play a part yeah we talked about the draw in theory uh, Ajax is basically the most exciting game we could possibly have got and it's interesting it's it's sort of invigorated the support a bit There's... well I think everyone's looking to forward to a bit of an away night in uh, in Amsterdam aren't they well, that, that's exactly right, though, and, and, and there is this kind of like, oh, brilliant, you know, oh, no, we're in the Europa League, that's terrible, and then, oh, we all get to go to Amsterdam, awesome, and, you know, everyone's been singing uh, Thursday nights in Amsterdam, and gigs, gigs is going to Amsterdam, and, uh, you know, it, it's amazing how much difference that draw makes, it because it, it, then it feels like a proper game, you know. Yeah, you know. and because Ajax are a team with genuine, genuine heritage, and, and they're a proper side, and they're two sides. That, that that should be I mean you know no one has a divine right but should be in the, the Premier competition in Europe shouldn't they so, so that's that's the good part Ajax are not a great side at the moment they're doing okay in the in Dutch league but not you know not running away with it and sort of thing and they were a bit unlucky I mean, lost out to that massive Leon win didn't <laughs> they unlucky <laughs> that's like when you said Wolves are a decent side the other week <laughs> okay very very unlucky I mean yeah it is only a bit unlucky because you know they wouldn't if, if they were a better side they wouldn't have been relying on that I'm re- relying on Leon not to win 7-0 yeah those crazy fools hey those crazy Dutch kids <laughs> they were just a brown paper bag between qualifying for the next round weren't they and, and <laughs> okay so so unlucky not to qualify and so they're, they're a decent side and it's definitely not a walkover for United although of course you know you'd say that, yeah. that the, the best in England 
Holland are usually going to be the best in in Holland at the moment because Holland's an export market and all of that. But yeah, you, you're right, reinvigorated. We'll see where it comes the next round if United get through against Moscow. Not quite the same kind of level of of excitement about that one. Yeah, not necessarily Moscow, of course. But but, but it's better than having got Metalist Kharkiv or any, you know any of those weird sides that we weren't quite sure where they were and had to get the map out. For. Uh, we've had a question from Andy27P in light of the Basel game and the Champions League exit. Will we see a renewed push for Glazers out from must slash green and yellow? scarves I, I really don't think so I really don't think so no there, there has to be something that's going to precipitate any kind of new round of, of protests and they've, they've been done they were done five years ago they were done over the last sort of 18 months and it's uh, uh, the fans have had their say the, the club uh, it made some some conciliatory moves you know price freeze and whatever I mean you know it's PR move weren't they but but for a, another big round of protests to happen there has to be something major happen uh, you know maybe if City win the league run away with it in the second half and United don't go out and strengthen and we get more nonsense about uh, not being any value or we can't find anyone who's good enough for United that's that's the new one isn't it can't find anyone good enough for United okay yeah and apart from the Darren Gibson no I, I just don't see it at the moment I don't I don't see uh, anything that's going to precipitate it I, I mean of course uh, IPO will happen at some point when the markets calm down right they're waiting for the volatility to drop uh, apparently so the word is and and at that point they'll they'll look to IPO if they the IPO isn't that successful and all they do with the money is is pay off their own personal debts and nothing goes to the club and and then they start taking out dividends because they'll you know legitimately be allowed to do it then maybe people get angry again but there's some very complex arguments there and complex arguments don't always lend themselves to mass protest no and I, you know I mean I think basically the 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 fact that we won the league last season really did take the edge off the protest as as success on the pitch did did five years ago you know I, I think and I think as you say while we're in touching distance with Manchester City it's not going to come back but if they do run away with it or if they run away with it next season that, that's when it'll that's when it'll come back yeah well at Happy Hero asks us uh, who I would like to say a very Merry Christmas to uh, Merry Christmas to all the listeners of course but you know those OG listeners that have been there from the start do you think it'll be a good thing if United get reinstated through the back door into the Champions League or an embarrassment I mean I know your answer I'm sure it's the same as mine it would be ridiculous embarrassment and also yeah. it's almost I mean I, I, it's got to be a 0.1% chance, right? Well, it would take FIFA banning the, the Swiss Federation yeah, uh, from international competition. I mean, it has happened before in, in FIFA have done this but uh, it would it would be pretty extraordinary. And I, I don't think... Uh, the press, pressure will be brought to bear on the Swiss FA to impose the transfer embargo on Sion, and uh, and it'll all get sorted. And and to answer actually answer the question, yes, uh, I'm with you. It would be a total embarrassment. I think the right thing for the club to do then would be to gracefully turn it down. Uh, it's bad enough being in the losers' competition, having lost already, uh, and been dumped into a competition that other teams actually wanted to play in and qualified for, and some have played like 14 games to get to this stage. You know that's embarrassing enough to then go back into a competition that we'd been legitimately fair and square knocked out of would just be embarrassing for the club of, of United standing better when we're not in it at all. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we've got a little festive special plan with some ridiculous questions and some festive memories of watching United uh, and and general Christmas cheer. So before we do all that, let's talk about Luis Suarez uh, and get that horrible situation out of the way. He's had an eight-game ban. I don't know why I'm telling you this, listeners, just in case that 
you don't pay attention to football news but choose to listen to our podcast. Uh, he's had an eight-game ban for using racially abusive language to Manchester United's Patrice Evra in their clash earlier in the season. Liverpool FC put out a statement which I can only describe as despicable. I, I was talking to people at work today and saying that if United put that statement out, I would really, really struggle to call myself a United fan the next day. You know, I, I don't know what I'd do if United put out that statement. It, it, that, that, I was that horrified by it. it. It was it was awful. It was one of the worst things I've ever seen from a football club. Take tribalism out of this. Didn't, didn't, wouldn't matter what club that was. That was just it was just awful. Liverpool's statement. I mean, in which they they slander Patrice Evra by uh, effectively accusing him of routinely playing the race card. Yeah, one, it's factually incorrect. Two, it's slander and libel because it's in print. They accuse the FA of institutional bias. They, they an awful lot of nonsense about Luis Suarez and his grandfather was black and he's played with black players. Uh, don't racists always claim that they've got lots of black friends? I mean, it's complete smokescreen, of course, you know, and, yeah. and it's, it's just totally irrelevant because they, it was never a question about Luis Suarez. He might be a lovely guy. He, he A lovely guy who likes to use, so we now had it confirmed by the, the, uh, the panel, racially, racially abusive language. That was, that was the, the, the narrow focus was, did he use racially abusive language yes yeah I mean I think it's you know as disgusted as I was by Liverpool's statement and as ridiculous as the fact that they all wore Suarez t-shirts seems tonight those are two separate issues actually because I, I think that the the t-shirts thing is is more forgivable because that's a team saying alright he's been found guilty of this offence but we stand by him and that's okay I, I don't think it's necessarily the right thing to do I definitely don't think it's a classy thing to do but it's not the same as the club slandering a player for claiming racial abuse which was proved or but well not proved which was found by this panel to have been the case so it, it, it's it's a complete disgrace and an incredible clouding of the facts that, that to, to claim that Evera somehow has this history of going around accusing anyone who'll listen that, to anyone who'll listen of accusing all and sundry of racial abuse it's 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 pitiful that, that, that they did this and, and I really wish that it hadn't been Liverpool because I, I promise you, I promise you, I would be saying this if it was United. I'd be saying this if it was Tottenham. I'd be saying this if it was Newcastle or, you know, Stoke or whoever. It's it's just objectionable. Yes, um, I mean, you know, two things are objectionable. Liverpool's response to this, all through it, and I have to say it's it's been extremely disappointing. I mean, um, it was a, a very calculated strategic decision to try and prejudice this case uh, through briefing the media uh, which was I presume the FA told them not to do and they did anyway and of course this is still sub judice in a way because there's an appeal to be held and, and of course we haven't actually at the time of recording this haven't actually seen all the evidence in full yet but I, I think we pretty much know which word was used uh, and so that was a disgrace and of course the words used were a, a disgrace and I actually I thought a lot of the analysis was kind of cod analysis really I, I, I kind of think this is pretty simple really it's pretty common in English law to ignore ignorance of the law right it's not it's not a defense I mean this is it's not legal it's not legal but but we we talked about a lot of legal terms we talked about innocent until proven guilty we had a panel there was a charge there was a defense as the prosecution the FA effectively acted as a prosecution the panel was independent and uh, he had a defense so it's set up in a legal framework and, and they do have to be mindful of the law because he, they could the FA could be sued right restraint of trade and, and all of those kind of 
things and defamation if they publish something and and so there is a, a legal framework to it as such and and one of the things that's enshrined in in english law is that that um ignorance is is not a defense mm. so and i think morally as well i don't think it's right to say oh it's okay in 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 uruguay ignoring a the context of of when what it was said and and what he meant to you know we of course we don't know but i think i find it very hard to believe that luis suarez did not mean to offend patrice evra when he called him a negro one of the things that i thought was uh, really shocking about liverpool's statement and and maybe in in time i'll be proved to be wrong to be kind of shocked by this is that they said that this eight game ban was given on the strength of one word one person's word against another's that seems to be absolutely extraordinary Uh, at twisted blood wrote a brilliant brilliant article uh, on surreal football about it where he said the thing is this is not a criminal prosecution so it doesn't have to be established beyond any possible reasonable doubt in in disciplinary panels one person's word against another is often the situation but it seems to me that that would be really remarkable if the only evidence if what they did was take the two players story and decide which one they believe more and ban Suarez for eight games well, well the thing is and as I said uh, on Twitter and maybe even on this podcast about six weeks ago when Suarez went to the media in Uruguay he damned himself yeah no absolutely I, I couldn't agree more with that and, and I think at that point the, the prima facie case was just really obvious at that point I mean he admitted he didn't use the word and that should tell you something too I mean if it's so innocent why could he not utter the word that he effectively admitted that he'd called Patrice Evra this variant of the n-word and at that point there was no doubt he was going to be found guilty in in my mind and it was all about the length of the ban and and of course you know, Liverpool say uh, because of that in a way the it, the FA was determined to do this and they were somehow institutionally prejudiced no it was just wrong and and all the, the rest of it about the nuances of language and culture and all of that don't make any difference I mean in in some in some countries it's habitual to marry multiple women or to engage in genital mutilation or to honour kill and now no, all these things are you know extremely serious and of course I'm, I'm exaggerating for effect here but no one really expects to be able to export that to England I don't see why you can export racism and and that's what that was okay so you've used a lot of kind of legal parallels and one thing is that sentencing is affected by more than just whether or not a crime took place and motive and those things are a factor in sentencing and so potentially it is significant whether or or not really vicious intent was meant in terms of how the FA should then deal with the situation. I, I wonder whether they, they have taken that into account because I think uh, an eight-game ban for this kind of action was pretty lenient. I mean, okay. some people think it's it's extremely harsh, uh, but I, Eric Cantona defended himself against a racist and got a 27-game ban. It's all very well to say Eric Cantona defended himself against a racist, but what he did was fly and kick a man in the crowd. It's not just like he didn't just say, hey, you stop being racist and get a 27 much ban off with you Cantona go for an early shower <laughs> was apparently Matthew Simmons defence but look yeah and again football lives in its own world I, I don't see why it's a defence but uh, if I uh, said off with you you negro to one of my colleagues and, and meant it in a, in, a, in a derogatory manner I think I'd be looking at more than a fine totalling three days wages and maybe a month off I'd be looking at a P45 no absolutely and and you know the none of none of any 
any of the stuff that I've said which is mitigatory or trying to take a kind of balanced overview of the situation makes any difference to the fact that I think that Liverpool have behaved just abysmally as an organisation and if I was a Liverpool fan I would be truly ashamed I and mean, truly I, I would I would not want to have anything to do with an institution that behaved like that over an issue like this because racist abuse is a really 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 seriously terrible thing yeah you know so anyway that's and and yeah so the thing is we've often said that the FA are institutionally bankrupt and uh, you frequently cite them as not being fit for purpose I mean uh, being They're not no <laughs> how do you think they've handled this one I, th- I think they've generally handled it very poorly and uh, aside from uh, I mean they, they should have had a lockdown right so none of the people I- involved say anything to anybody uh, and unfortunately that didn't happen and uh, and they've taken an awful long time to conduct this investigation and uh, and they're still not being transparent uh, which is disappointing I mean I guess the panel needs some time to write these things up but it's left a whole vacuum so I don't think they've handled it really well uh, on the other hand they haven't chickened out this independent panel uh, and uh, it's uh, kind of got to put that in inverted commas the independent word because they, they are effectively reporting to and working for the FA so it's, uh, it's independent in one sense in that they're not the executive board of the FA but they are reporting to the body so this panel have, have at least not shirked their responsibility and made the decision one of the worst things would have been if they'd said yes uh, found him guilty but uh, we'll take it into mitigating circumstances don't do it again because it had been given carte blanche for every single player in the Premier League to go oh it's just you know sorry my culture it's alright to call you a fucking black cunt beep 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 yeah. Talking of which, Sean Terry, police are going to make a statement about that tomorrow, so we're recording this before any news about that has come out. No, CPS have said he will be charged. Oh, right. Did you not see this? Excuse my complete ignorance. John Terry, there's the CPS have said he, he, he uh, will be charged and he'll uh, face a hearing on the 1st of February. It will be a prelim hearing. He probably won't be a trial for months now, and which which means the FA won't get involved and he'll probably go to Euro 2012 with this hanging over him. Yeah, because <laughs> um, when Rio had a thing hanging over him, of course, he was thoroughly benched by England. Mm, indeed. Mind you, if, if we thought that that was wrong, then I guess we should think it's wrong for John Terry to be benched. Well, he is innocent until proven guilty, and and if proven guilty by a a court of this fair land, he will be given a maximum of £2,500 fine. I think he earned that in about an hour and a half. Yeah, it'd be interesting to calculate uh, when it all comes down how many times he'd earned that between being charged and, you know, found guilty. Anyway, should we, uh, with apologies to Duke underscore, by the way, who asked us not to spend the whole podcast ranting on about uh, Suarez and ever, I think given the seriousness of the issue, we've kept it to a relatively short period of time. But it's time to move on as it is this very festive special time of the year. Apologies if it's not a festive special time of the year where you are and I'm being culturally insensitive and get an eight rank cast ban uh, let's move on and we've had some important questions from our listeners over the past week and, and perhaps none of them more important than this from uh, at mango underscore zero zero why isn't Mike Phelan wearing shorts at games anymore it's cold that can't be the only reason it was cold before and he was committed maybe, maybe he hung out once and, uh, and the missus has told him to not do it again I think someone must have had a word with Mike Phelan I was watching some old clips of United and there was a brilliant one of Mike Phelan leading the club out with his little moustache when he used to play you forget you know he was a footballer once not a very good one but he he was a footballer yes seems hard to imagine doesn't it and at can they score asks us if we could buy wayne rooney one thing for christmas 
things, what would it be and why? Um, I think for me, it would be a pair of armbands, like swimming armbands, so he couldn't flap his arms. So they, they kind of restricted his arm flapping ability. <laughs> he, he would look ridiculous, but yeah. He would, but he wouldn't, or just a life jacket. Anything which stops him, some really heavy wristbands. A straight jacket. No, not a straight, that's too far. <laughs> that's, yeah, something to stop his arms flapping. What about you? Uh, I, I think I'd get him some, you know, maybe maybe one of those Kinect games so he can get his energy out and stuff like that. Get all his anger out on some virtual boxing. I don't think that'd be good though, would it? That'd be that'd be bad for his game, apparently. If you, if you took that out of his game, Eddie wouldn't be the same player, so Mark Lawrenson tells me. Mm, the great Mark Lawrenson. So, do you, what are your sort of best memories of watching United around this time of year? Some great memories. Some great memories of, of getting public transport on Boxing Day to games around the country because, folks, you used to be able to do that, and I know I'm showing my age here, but, uh, yeah, you used to be able to get a train to a game on a Boxing Day, and I did that frequently, and I can't anymore. You have to get a car or blag a ride somewhere. But um, So that's one of my abiding memories. Cold, squeezing into the Stratford End, FA Cup games, the famous win against Forest just after the New Year, all of that, yeah. I mean, it's an anachronism in a way, isn't it? The the kind of festive programme, because no one else in Europe really does it, and, and everyone else takes a break, and it's kind of sensible because the speed of the modern game and, and all of that wears players out, and, and uh, I think there's been some pretty good analysis about injuries in, in the English game as opposed to elsewhere, and of course the English team is always rubbish when it comes to summer, summer tournaments, and well, that's more than just being knackered, but, but this period when you cram in six games in three weeks is, is a contributory factor, but for the fans it's great, uh, as long as they don't have Newcastle versus Plymouth on Boxing Day. We did go to the New Year's Day route, Dennis Bailey 3, United well, 4-1 in the end, wasn't it? That was many years ago, and uh, Paul and I were somewhat smaller. That was easily the worst United performance of all time. I've never seen a group of professional footballers look actually properly hungover, but they, they definitely did. in Fergie's 50th birthday party the night before. At Lee Sharp, he just looked a mess. Such a mess. It, Lee Sharp's problem was not just the alcohol, of course. Allegedly, your honour. <laughs> then, uh, <laughs> but then Giggsy came on and and uh, tore tore the place up. And that was that was pretty pretty good moment in in an otherwise absolutely abysmal <laughs> festive season memory. Uh, so, uh, ask some of the listeners. We had a couple. Paul Scholes' goal against Aston Villa, which I believe was on a December the twenty third, uh, was a, a stunning goal and. <laughs> At Dan Louth says, when me and my granddad went to United versus Bradford on Boxing Day, and pre-match Paul Scholes took a shot that flew over the ten-year-old, flew over the bar. Ten-year-old me ducked, but it smashed into a Welsh guy behind him in the head. R.I.P. <laughs> so, yes, uh, an unfortunate end, but what a way to go, taken out by Paul Scholes. <laughs> Great stuff. Yeah. So yeah, I guess that does it for the show. Apart from get to look forward to some festive season action, Boxing Day at Wigan. We've just held the mighty Liverpool to. Draw. Yeah, that kind of shows you how rubbish Wigan are at the moment. Yeah, they're not a good side, Wigan. Uh, they are only not bottom of the Premier League because there are two sides in Bolton and Blackburn who are even worse. Uh, uh, you know, if if that's possible, Blackburn being just awful, uh, uh, and so Wigan have a chance of, of staying up uh, as a result of that. I'm not much of one, I'd say. 
just terrible all round. I mean, they they play some nice football, all of that. Yada 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 with Roberto Martinez, and and they have a, a tiny budget, so I, I guess uh, you know just surviving in the Premier League is a, is a bonus in the, in the most patronising and condescending manner. I can probably get it out in United should win. I agree. The the thing is, they are in a pretty good little run of form. A fantastic performance at home they put in against Chelsea on Saturday just gone. Really remarkable, and they were kind of unlucky to uh, only get a draw out of it. And and having gone behind, even being on top, they did extremely well to get back into the game. I thought so, and they and they managed to beat West Brom away as well. So you know they're they're picking up points, and and they've managed to beat Sunderland as well away from home and get a draw with Blackburn. They 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 they're picking up a little bit of form. They they have been their their first two two and a half months of the season were indeed abysmal. But the the last month or so, it, it has started to look a little bit more like they might find a way to stay up somehow. I mean, as you say, that's that's pretty much a reflection of the terrible quality of the teams around them. But it's it's not possible. It's not impossible that I mean, it's pretty much impossible that they're going to beat us at home, isn't it? They have not won a game at Old Trafford ever. Just just you know, let's uh, put that into context. And and in that time, scored one goal. So I, I don't think it's likely that they're going to get anything out of this. And and uh, and it's you know it's another three points. Just got to keep racking them up now. Put the pressure on City and, and hope City crack. Yeah, that, it's probably worth saying that it was a really really hell of a good result for them against Arsenal at home given that they'd lost on the Monday to Chelsea and that we'd put all that pressure on them by beating QPR and going top of the league it, it was a very sort of serious proper honest to goodness title contenders type win uh, for them against Arsenal yeah it was a very important win for them as well yeah yeah. so it was unfortunate <laughs> and being an Arsenal fan must be terrible because I tried it for about 45 minutes and it was horrible they're just rubbish and all their players are bad apart from Van Persie and their goalkeeper did you, did you feel kind of dirty after doing that yeah. I did but it was I don't know I don't know what's worse really because I was sort of a Chelsea fan for 90 minutes on Monday I don't know it was sort of better I don't know it's hard to say they were... well it's that time of year Paul you can go and make your confessions and whatever whatever it is you like to do absolutely I will I will forgive me Eric for I have sinned I wanted Arsenal to win <laughs> very good well listeners everywhere it's been a pleasure having you have a happy Christmas or Hanukkah or other religious or non-religious festival of your choice and before we go Paul predictions for Wigan at Old Trafford I'm going to say 4-0 before we even get to that actually no I, I, will, I will build this into the predictions because we've had a special request from at X and you know when we have a special request from at X we we try and go along with it if at all possible and my prediction is that we will win I'm going to say that Wigan will score a, a kind of ridiculously brilliant goal because I, I keep think I think they've got a load of players that can can randomly do something amazing so I think I'm going to go with 4-1 but my other prediction is that being as it's on Boxing Day songs will be sung and that expert she asked if we could sing him a Christmas song which I've translated to being uh, if I could sing him a Christmas song because I, I can't imagine that you're you're going to be persuaded Ed to, to join in with any singing I have the voice of an angel and I, I don't like to show anyone else. that's fine I'll, I'll leave it to you. So, this is the song that we played out with last week, but perhaps a, a slightly less impressive version. And uh, from all of us here at the Rankcast, we would like to wish you a very Merry Christmas or festival of your choice. On the first day of Christmas, Fergie gave to me Eric Cantona. On the second day of Christmas, Fergie gave to me two Cantonas and an Eric Cantona. On the third day of Christmas, Fergie gave 
gave to me three cantonas, two cantonas, and an Eric cantona. On the fourth day of Christmas, Fergie gave to me four cantonas, three cantonas, two cantonas, and an Eric cantona. On the fifth day of Christmas, Fergie gave to me five cantonas, four cantonas, three cantonas, two cantonas, and an Eric cantona.